Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Now, here's a question for you. How good are you at listening? You know, that came up in a conversation I was having with Pastor Tom Parrish last week. It was even, I think, a question that came up on Guy Talk, and Tom chimed in and said, active listening is something I teach about. And I said, oh, okay, well, you just got booked. So I'm going to talk to Pastor Tom Parrish today about active listening, and I think it's uh, one of the reasons a lot of Christians are very cautious about witnessing. And it's going to be a, a great way to improve your ability to connect with people and have them ask you about Jesus. It's going to be great. Tom, welcome to the, the show. Bill, it's exciting to be on. I'm excited about this topic. I really am. I love, I love this topic. And you were nice enough to send me your 53-picture uh, PowerPoint. And I thought, ooh, I don't... I have no idea how we squeeze this in in 30 minutes, but I figured if we pick a handful of topics from it, we can get uh, we can cover a lot of ground. Absolutely. All right, so let's start with one of the first. What's the reason most Christians are are cautious, are cautious to witness? In my experience, and I've been doing this for 45 years, uh, number one, most of them are not real comfortable with a predetermined witnessing plan whether it's the four spiritual laws, if they don't have the booklet, they don't know what to do. Uh, most of them don't have anything memorized. And so it's frightening. And, you know, they're terrified they're going to be asked something they can't answer and look foolish, uh, or they are, fearing, are afraid they're going to insult somebody in their approach. And I was all of those things early in my ministry. Uh, I, I would go in like a bulldozer, and I would try to lead people to Christ. And I, I did, but there were a lot I didn't. And then along the way, the Lord opened me up to this concept of active listening, and it changed everything for me dramatically. And I've seen a lot of people come to the Lord Jesus, um, and it was the Lord's hand, not mine. I just was simply there to be the listening ear and ask the appropriate questions. Mm-hmm. Tom, we are certainly good at talking, but it sounds like we, we're not as good at listening. And sometimes when we're talking, it, it, we're thinking, if I get God's word in this conversation somehow, it won't return void. So I will be ahead of the game if I at least do as much talking as, as I can. That's a problem. And uh, I've learned, you know, that's exactly what I did in the beginning. I had these approaches down pat. But I found it wasn't the person's either need at the moment or they weren't ready to hear it that way. And once the Lord showed me this whole approach to active listening, I began to realize I need to listen more. And when I did, people will actually wind up, you know, telling me their need. Matter of fact, the seminar that I do on this is, you know, getting others to ask you to tell them about Jesus. And you think, wait a minute, how do I get other people to ask me about Jesus? That's what I learned <laughs> through this, and it worked. It really yeah. worked, which has blown me away. Well, let's get into some of the, um, the the meat and potatoes of this. Maybe we can start with what is what is and what isn't active listening. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's interesting. Active listening is, first of all, not going in with a set program where you're going to tell somebody the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean you don't know the gospel. Of course you know the gospel, and you may have things memorized. 
But you start with their need. And the goal of active listening is to be able to reflect back to people in their conversation, both the feeling and the content of what they're saying. And when I first started this bill, I thought, this is crazy. This isn't going to do anything. But I, uh, I have an old story that goes back. It goes, I was at Walmart one day I'm with my son. I'm waiting in line for him. And an older gentleman next to me drops something on the floor and bends over and groans. I help him pick it up. And he said, you know, it's, it's heck getting older. And I said, I thought, well, why not use the active listening? And I said, boy, it sounds like you've been through a lot in your life. And this is really getting harder and harder. He stopped. He looked at me and he goes, yeah, you know, matter of fact, I've got a lot of problems in my life I don't know how to deal with. And I said, well, you know, I understand that. And it really seems to be burdening you down. He said, you want to talk about my biggest burden? It's my son who doesn't call me anymore. Bill, in 10 minutes, he and his wife prayed with me to receive Jesus oh, and to pick up the phone and call their son. And oh, my. I, I followed up. I always carry a little business card. I followed up and got them into some discipleship training. But it took 10 minutes, and I didn't even plan on it. Wow. So what you're doing now, is know, you're trying to let the people do the talking. Yeah. And people want to talk. Yeah. You did a masterful job of, of inviting him into further conversation. You were acknowledging his his momentary discomfort or, or his ache and pain, and uh, you didn't make it about you. You didn't say, well, I have aches and pains myself. You said, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like you've kind of gone through some hard things, and that just opened a door for him to keep talking to you. That happened one time, and then I saw it happen again, Bill, and I don't want to over-exaggerate, but I've now seen this happen hundreds and hundreds of times in my life, and I've tried to train other people to do the same thing. And the, the fun part of it is that when the people start telling me their spiritual need, because they all have it, it's their decision for Jesus, not me forcing something on them, and when they receive him out of their own heart, they're Christians for life. Yeah, that's powerful. Now, Tom, I know because you've been doing this for a long time, I want to I want to hear more about active listening, and I know you've got another example or two, because once you hear about a real-life experience, you think, well, that's, that's me every day, too. I'm in that situation. Yeah. Well, what I've tried to do, Bill, is that the Lord taught me, okay, use the active listening. Don't run the conversation. Let me run the conversation. And so in active listening, there are three things that I try to do. One, I try to listen and flip back the feelings of what the person is saying. You look sad, you look down, you're tired, you're joyful. I try to reflect back the exact content. Oh, you're really upset with your son. Doesn't sound like something's going right. Now, here's the third one, and it's the biggest. Identifying and listening to the Holy Spirit, because I'm praying under my breath the whole time, the Lord will open up a door to this person's heart. Mm -hmm. And I find when I do that, the door is open. It's rare wow. the door doesn't open, Bill. Wow. Okay. I wonder how many people have that in their mind when they're having a conversation with a stranger or someone where in the back of their mind they're saying, Holy Spirit, lead me into this opening. Provide something for me to carry the conversation to the next level. One of the things I try to do as a pastor and teacher uh, in seminars, preaching, whatever, is I keep talking about intentionality. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we have to be intentional in talking to the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, you know, the Father in our heart all the time. And it's in those moments that the divine appointments come along, the opportunities come along, and the door opens. And uh, I've just learned to do this for the last, you know, 25, 30 years, and it's been a lot of joy and a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. 
So, Tom, if I'm going to be witnessing, it sounds like that I will need to take the initiative with the person that I'm trying to witness to. Um, I, I want to just come alongside them and, and just be a nice human being, but also pray that the Holy Spirit will open up an opportunity. But it sounds like it's going to sometimes, uh, most of the time, re- is going to require my initiative. It is your initiative because it doesn't matter where you go, whether you're in church. You know, if you're in church setting in your pew and it's uh, Sunday morning and some elderly person or young person comes in and they look kind of down, you know, that's where you take the initiative and you say, well, good morning, Sue. It's really good to see you. Or good morning, Bill. Hey, how are things going in your life? And then you let them tell you. And then you start the active listening when they say, well, you know, things could be better. You know, life, uh, life has its ups and downs. Wow, Sue, it sounds like you've gone through a lot this last week and really need the touch of the Lord Jesus. And then the door begins to open, and we begin to have mm-hmm. a conversation. And they initiate the conversation then from that point on. Mm-hmm. But it's just paying attention to other people, that's all. Yeah, Pastor Tom Parrish is my guest. You might recognize him from Guide Talk on Thursdays, but we're talking about how to become a better listener and to be an active listener. And Tom, we all know that everyone's looking for Jesus, whether they know it or not, because eternity has been placed in everyone's hearts, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11. Exactly. It's already there, and we have to be understand that people are looking for answers to their life. I mean, when I've been with the dying bill, they ask the, the same three questions I hear of them over and over. You know, what was my purpose for being here? You know, why didn't I spend more time with the people I loved? What happens to me when I die? Well, those are more eternal questions. And I try to tap into that as best I can. And it usually takes only two or three sentences back and forth before people unknowingly start telling me about their deeper heart, which is rather interesting because normally we talk, people talk about baseball, football, the weather. Right. And I find people go much deeper very fast. And I think people want to be listened to. They just don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Tom, is listening the most important and effective tool in, in building personal relationships and witnessing? It's I, I, I'd like to say it's number one, but of course, knowing Jesus is number one. But in terms of my response, that's the biggest one there is. Because in a, when I have a conversation with you or with anybody else, Bill, it's not about me. It's about that person and their needs and their relationship with the Lord Jesus. And my goal is to get as far out of the way as I can with my agenda so that they can set their agenda, and then the Lord opens the door to talk through that. Mm-hmm. When you have spoken, again, I want to go back to some of the conversations you've had with people closer to the end of life. The, they would say that they, would, they, they wish they would have risked more. They would have reflected more on the meaning and the purpose of life. Yep. So there's some deep-seated thoughts there, aren't there? There's a lot of regret at the end of life that I run into, and that's why, as a pastor, uh, I've made it my purpose to be there, not only before they die, but even at the moment they die, if at all possible. And I will hold their hand, and even when they're in a coma belt, it is amazing how many times in that last few minutes they open their eyes and they say to me, you know, I, you know, they'll ask me a question, or they'll say, Jesus is here. And then I have a chance to share with them. And when they're in a coma, I always read the scriptures to them. I always tell them again how much Jesus loves them. And I do that over and over. And for the, just to tell you, I had one gentleman who was in a coma for a year. I visited him every week and read scripture and prayed over him. I got a call one day. It was this gentleman. He had come out of the coma. 
And he said, I remember every conversation, every prayer, and everything you said, and that I look forward to every week because I knew Jesus would be there with you. Mm -hmm. So, Tom, when we're doing active listening, here are a couple of words that I think would be pretty important. You tell me if if I'm on the right track. Words like empathy, gentleness, availability. How am I doing so far? Am I three for three? Huge. You're on the mark. You're doing great. Okay. You're batting a thousand. Oh, good. Good. So when we get these opportunities, if we uh, show up with active listening, and we're going to try to allow them to tell us more about what we just heard from them. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to uh, c- come alongside them and say, I, I just heard you say that, fill in the blank, and then say more. And exactly. it, 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 you're, you're, it is surprising how willing people are to talk. It is astounding how many need to talk but never get it. And as a result, they're so frustrated with life and so frustrated with people. I can't tell you how many times I have sat in my office counseling people. And when I learned the active listening, I started to employ it. I cannot tell you how many times people have said to me, what I'm about to tell you, I've never told anybody else in my life. And the reason I didn't tell anybody else is the others weren't ready to listen. And Mm. sometimes this happens as quick as 20 minutes with a person. Sometimes it's two or three sessions. But when I hear that, I know the Holy Spirit's moving. Tom, it sounds like they had something they wanted to unburden as well, and they didn't know where they could unburden it. Oh, it's huge. I've seen this over and over. Uh, Especially a lot of adults now, Bill, and it's tragic to say this, how many of them were molested as children. Mm-hmm. Who do you talk? Who do you talk to when your dad molests you, or an uncle, or you know a cousin or somebody? How do you begin to talk about that? And so they hold it inside, and the devil's real happy, and they're miserable. I had one woman who came to me, and she had been through three divorces. She had had a miserable life, uh, and she was seventy-five years old. And I don't know how it came up in a sermon, but I talked about this. She came in to see me, and she said, "I think you're the first person that will ever listen to me." And I said, really? Well, I'm glad to listen. And then she told me about her dad, who was an elder in the church, had molested her from age 12 until 18 when she moved out of the house. And she wow. said, I haven't had anybody else to talk to about this, and I'm a bitter woman. And we spent some time in prayer and healing, and it took several sessions, but she substantially got better. Uh, and then when she died, she died in peace. Hmm. Wow. So, Tom, I, I want to improve my listening skills. So what, what, what would be some of the first steps I would do? Yeah, a couple of things is you've got, to, you've got to stop what you're doing and pay attention to the other person. If there's any kind of an opening, uh, if there's any kind of they look at you, if they drop something and they say, oh, you know, ah, oh, or they groan or anything, you step in and you help them. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, it's just simply helping them. Okay. Then it's letting them do the talking. And you ask questions, what I call timely questions. You know, it focuses on what the speaker has already said. Like that one gentleman, he, he told me, he said, you know, I, I wish my son would talk to me. Well, that opened a wide door. And we began to talk about that. And again, I still kept using the active listening until I asked him, you know, has he ever talked to the Lord about this? Now, that was down the line a little bit. And he goes, well, I go to church, but I don't know how to do that. Nobody's ever taught me. That's how then I was able to lead them to Christ and lead them. And he restored, are you ready? He restored his relationship after 20 years with the son. Oh, fantastic. So that's a lot of it. Um, you know, it takes into the, the content of what they're saying. You listen for that. 
you look at unspoken behavior. Are they are they looking around? Are they twitching? Are they showing a lot of anger in their face or joy or whatever it be? And you give the speaker a non-threatening environment, and you leave things open-ended until the Holy Spirit opens the door to talk about what's really important. I like that. All right, Tom Parrish, let me take a little break. We're talking about active listening, but this is something that we could all improve upon. We're going to learn more when we come back after a short break. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have my friend, Pastor Tom Parrish, as my guest today. He does a great job on Guide Talk, and having him on the afternoon show is not considered community service. I, I actually think he's enjoying it. Is that right, Tom? I'm having a good time, Bill. Anytime I can talk to people about this and how to witness for Jesus, I'm thrilled. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So uh, we're talking about active listening and how to be better at it. And I remember not that long ago, I had Dr. Jerry Rutan, who's the head of evangelism at Wheaton. And he said, I'm standing in the luggage of an airport uh, waiting for my bag, and I'm striking up a conversation with the guy next to me. And I said, so are you from Chicago? And he said, no. He said, I, I grew up in Ohio, and I was I moved to Chicago when my parents divorced. Then mm. he said, well, how did how was that as a kid? And all of a sudden, within minutes, this kid, this guy was pouring, uh, you know, his heart out to him. And I thought, exactly. way to go, Jerry. You're active listening, aren't you? You're just taking it to the next level. So how important That's it is, impressive. yet how simple it can be. It really is. And it's not as complicated as people think. Um, here's the one thing I learned, Bill, about the way the Holy Spirit moves and the way people receive Jesus. And, and I've been privileged to do this with a lot of people. My fundamental truth is, until they want Jesus and the Spirit's moving in their heart, I can't give Jesus to them. But when I use active listening, it opens the door to their heart. And they start telling me, just like this guy in the airport, you start hearing things you weren't even planning on. And that's where the door works. Mm-hmm. So obviously this is uh, quite effective, and I just want to reinforce to everyone listening that that they can, starting today, uh, apply this approach of active listening. And let's just talk a little bit more, Tom, about why it is so effective. It's effective because it puts the burden on the Holy Spirit to speak to their heart. I like you that. Are the t- you are the tool that opens their heart up because you're willing to listen to them. It's their agenda, not your agenda. And, I mean, I, Bill, I, seriously, in McDonald's checkout lines, when I go to get my Diet Coke, I've actually <laughs> struck up these conversations with people in the window. And there was one woman years ago who was there every day when I go through. And within three days, she's telling me her life story. And by the fourth day, she's asking me if I'll pray with her right in the wow. window. And, she wow. said, I'll and when I left, as I pulled away, she said, I'll see you tomorrow. And she became a Christian. Oh, I love that story. So if we're going to try to summarize some of the key uh, components of active listening, we would identify and reflect back 
whatever the feelings or emotions or or what we heard from the the person we're connecting to. Yep. And then the feelings. To, yep. Yep. And then identify and and reflect back portions of the content. I heard you yes. say that you have been disconnected to your son. That must that must be so hard and heavy on your heart. How many people get that opportunity to talk to somebody about the hurts on their heart? Uh, even a stranger, often. even a stranger, people will talk to if they're listening. And that's the power that I like to see in this. And so I try to train as many people on this as I can. Well, Tom, we all know about the stranger on the train syndrome, where the yep. thing you will say to the person sitting in the chair next to you on the train are things that you wouldn't share with your deepest and closest uh, people in your life. Exactly. Because the need is there, the opportunity is there, but most family members and others don't give that person time to really talk without trying to either solve their problem, tell them they're wrong, or do something else with them. My goal is not to solve their problem. My goal is not to correct their problem. My goal is to listen long enough for the Holy Spirit to enter their heart and begin to ask the right questions, because Jesus solves the problem, not me. And that, that puts the weight onto the Holy Spirit, because I think that's the most important part of the three components of effective and active listening, is identifying and listening to the Holy Spirit while praying under your breath. Yep. Talk I about a secret weapon, yep. Tom. It is powerful. It is powerful. I mean, isn't that the ultimate secret weapon? I don't know of anything better, about. Because <laughs> yeah. within a few minutes when you have people telling you that they've gone through three divorces or that their son won't talk to them or that they they're, they got a, a young woman pregnant and you don't know what happened to her mm -hmm. or that kid now, um, it's a burden. Or, and so yeah. I help them deal with that. Or I'm sorry your parents uh, divorced and you had to move to Chicago. Or exactly. did part of your life feel like it was a little bit uh, taken from you or did you feel a little bit cheated? Boy, you open, you, you tee that one up, and people will hit that drive a long way. It, it's actually the point, though, where I'll be somewhere, and it's hard to get away from the people once we start this because they want to keep talking. I get and it. And so no, I, I do the best I can to stay there as long as I can. Yeah. So, Tom, we just have about a minute left. I uh, I wish we would have had more time, but this topic is, is great. We'll, we'll address it more, maybe some more on Guy Talk, but... This whole idea of active listening is just being present, asking questions, uh, letting people know that I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying and I care about you and your experience, and then pray like crazy. The Holy Spirit opens up an opportunity to reach them for Christ. Exactly. That's all you need to do. And believe me, it happens. And when people then finally start to tell me, you know, I'm looking for answers. I don't know what to do with this. I, I simply say to them, would you like to find an answer? And mm -hmm. they say, well, yes, I would. And then I could say to them, well, you know, I found some of the answers. And if you'd ever like to know, I'd be glad to tell you. And I've had people physically grab me yeah. where I was, whether it was, a, and say, I've got time now if you want to tell me. <laughs> I love it. And uh, then I share with them Jesus. That's wonderful. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I'll look forward to seeing you uh, in the next Guy Talk. Look forward to it, Bill. Thank you. You bet. Patrick Tom Parrish has been my guest. As we talked about active listening, if you missed any of this, Check it out from the beginning. We'll take a short break and be right back.
show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? My guest Ray Comfort answers questions that people are asking all the time. Like, does God hear my prayers? He's written over 100 books. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters. And the book that I'm going to talk to him about today is called How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. Ray, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Appreciate it. Oh, it's uh, my uh, my delight. So I love the title of this book, This How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. I know you write a lot of books, and you've written, I think, close to 100 or more. What uh, What intrigued you about this book? Well, whether or not God answers prayer doesn't really matter unless you're hanging over a thousand-foot cliff by your teeth or you're upside down at 20,000 feet in severe turbulence, then it matters. And most non-Christians take it for granted that God hears everything, but they don't understand. that The Scriptures make it clear there are certain conditions for God to regard our prayers. If you want to chat with King Charles, you don't show up in your pajamas. There's certain etiquette. And there are certain biblical etiquettes that we must take place, and we must not, um, we must acknowledge when we look at Scripture. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Bible says, the Lord will not hear. Our sins make a separation between us and our God, so He will not hear. Obviously, God is omniscient, so He hears and sees everything. But the Bible tells us He'll take no regard unless we uh, conform to what Scripture tells us to do. Ray, you say in your book that the uh, the image of a God who smiles at sin, whose patience is infinite and inexhaustible, only exists in the minds of those who lack the fear of the Lord. They choose to ignore the knowledge of God given to us in Holy Scripture. I would love for you uh, to talk about what it means to fear the Lord. Yeah, and the Bible says of Jesus, he was heard in that he feared. I think that... <laughs> is more than just a reverence. You talk to most non-Christians, and I've got a, an idolatrous understanding of God's character and nature. The image of God is one of that long-haired guy sitting on a cloud uh, with a pink nightie reaching out and playing touch fingers with Adam. That's the image of God. It's nothing like the image that's revealed in Scripture. Listen to what Jesus said about God, and this, this is just so offensive to the world. He said this, Fear not him who has power to kill your body, and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. So the, the non-Christian must realize that if he lacks the fear of God, he'll give himself to sin, because the scriptures say, through the fear of the Lord being depart from evil. I, I'm originally from New Zealand. I've been living in the U.S. for, I think, nearly 40, or 30, 34 years. That's why I've almost lost my accent. And in New Zealand, <laughs> in New Zealand the police didn't have guns. They would have sticks or batons, and if a criminal was naughty, they would hit him. And England did the same for many years, just batons with the police. They've now got guns, but when I came to the U.S., I had an advantage over open-air preachers. Uh, When I came here, when a police officer would walk up to me because he didn't like what I was doing, wanted me to move, I would say to myself, he's got a gun. That's all I could see. I couldn't see anything else but his gun. And I'd say to myself, this man could kill me legally if he feels threatened in some way, if I move too quickly or reach into my pocket to get a track to give him or something like that, I could die. So I've always been tremendously congenial with the police, very, very nice. And whatever they want, I do. I jump to it. Over a dozen times I've been stopped from open air preaching by police. And always when they come up and say, I'd like you to stop, I immediately stop. And I say, what would you like me to do, officer? Move over there. 
And whatever they want, I do, because he's got a gun. It's more than a reverence I have for the police. It's a fear of what he can do to me. And that's what Jesus is saying about the fear of God. Fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. And so the non-Christian must realize if they don't fear God, they should fear him for what he, sh- what he can do to them. And let me tell you something a little personal, but it really brings out the power of the fear of God and what it can do for us. When I was 16, this was six years before I became a Christian, I found myself at the back of a dance hall at night in a long grass with a gorgeous 16-year-old female. And my, my intentions were not honorable. I was a non-Christian, no fear of God. But she put the fear of God in me with just six words. This is what she said. She said, you know what? God's watching us. <laughs> and it was like a bucket of ice fell from the heavens just <laughs> caused me to steam stand up and say well let's go back inside and i look back and the fear of god even as a non-christian caused me to depart from evil as the bible says i i could have got her pregnant i could have brought shame to her family shame to my family and maybe even instigated an abortion i don't know but i look back and i say thank god for the fear of the lord which is the beginning of wisdom and that's what needs to be intermingled in our prayers, a, a trembling, a reverence, an awe of God. But the non-Christian must have a little bit more and, uh, and, and realize what God will do if we're not obedient to the gospel. Ray Comfort is my guest. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters, best-selling author of over 100 books. And we're chatting about his book today, How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. Uh, Ray, I love that you talk about the fear of the Lord you know, is, is a way of life. So how, how can we encourage us, how can you encourage us to, when we're facing temptation and sin, just the way you were with that 16-year-old girl? Yeah, to cultivate the fear of God. One way to do it would be to move to Texas so you can experience a thunderstorm and look at the lightning and let's scare the living daylights out because everything's <laughs> bigger in Texas. Or you could read Scripture with an open heart, searching for what the Scriptures say about God's character and nature. You could read about Uzzah, how he reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant and God killed him because he wasn't supposed to do that. Or read how Ananias and Sapphira told one lie, and God killed them. Uh, or he didn't like what a man did sexually in Genesis 38, so the Lord killed him. Or he consider what happened with Moses. He said, God, let me see your glory. And God says, you can't see me and live. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. This is a comfort paraphrase. He says, I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, and I'll let my goodness pass you by. What does that mean? Would God's goodness kill Moses? Doesn't make sense. Until you think of a court of law where a judge has before him a criminal that's murdered uh, an 11-year-old girl after he sexually molested her, strangled her to death. If that judge is a good judge, if he has goodness in his heart, he will be furious at that criminal, and he'll bring down his gavel in wrath. And the Bible says God is so good, he so believes in justice and righteousness, his wrath abides on us. And every time we sin, we store up his wrath. Like an L.A. freeway chase, you get the commentators say, look at that, guys, wrong side of the road. Oh, oh, he's just gone through a stop sign. He's making it worse for himself every time he transgresses the law. And that's what the unsaved person is doing. That's what sinners are doing every time they sin. Lust, hatred, anger, greed, pride, jealousy, all these things store up God's wrath. It's going to be revealed on the day of wrath when they stand before his absolute perfect goodness, which demands justice. That's a fearful thing. And when we cultivate that sort of biblical understanding, it naturally brings a fear of God into our heart so that when we're tempted to look at pornography and the pleasure it gives men, 
or women, or when we're tempted to listen to gossip, we won't because the fear of God causes us to depart from evil. Ray, uh, I've watched so many of your videos where you're going out and speaking to people, and I find your your giftedness just through the roof. I know a lot of it has come through practice, so uh, you didn't learn that overnight. But the Bible also says that that the Scripture is foolishness to those who are perishing. So a lot of people say a lot of foolish things, and when it comes to the consequences of sin, it seems pretty stupid to them. How do we do a better job of impressing upon them that there is a spiritual reality that they may be scoffing at? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, the Bible says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. And there's a reason it's foolishness. It's because we haven't preceded it with what the Bible tells us to. The scriptures say the law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so when we open up the Ten Commandments, as Jesus did, and show what sin is, then the gospel will make sense. Let me give an analogy. A doctor looks at a patient, and the, and the patient believes he's completely healthy. He's fit, he's young, he's healthy. But the doctor knows, because he's seen x-rays, that this guy is going to be dead in two weeks. There is a cancerous poison disease that's seeping through his system. So what's the doctor going to do? He has a cure for the patient. Is he going to give him the cure? No, that would be foolish. He wouldn't give him a cure while he thinks he's healthy. The guy's going to say, what do you give me this cure for? I don't need this cure. I'm healthy. Get it out of my face. I don't want it. It's going to be foolishness to him. He's going to reject it, not appreciate it or appropriate it. So if the doctor knows what he's doing and he's a good doctor, he'll pick up the x-rays, get the attention of the guy and say, look at this. This is a poison that's seeping through your system. He's going to try and make him fearful. He wants to see sweat come to his brow. He wants to see him tremble so that the patient will say, Yikes, I can see this is deadly serious. What should I do? Then he brings out the cure. Then it will make sense. Then the patient will appreciate it and appropriate it. And what we have done with our modern evangelistic methods is held up the cure. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He took the punishment for our sins. People say, what are you talking about? Sin, I don't need your silly religion. Get it out of my face. Don't ram it down my throat. Why? because we haven't convinced of the disease so they'll appreciate and appropriate the cure. When we do what Jesus did with a rich young ruler and open up those Ten Commandments and show the disease of sin, and we bring about fear and make them tremble as Felix trembled on the preaching of Paul, or as David trembled on the preaching of Nathan, or as the Philippian jailer uh, was trembled when that earthquake came, we need to give them a personal earthquake so fear will do its duty and rise in their heart they realize how serious sin is in the eyes of god then the cross will make sense that christ redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us so we need to go back to biblical methods and forsake our modern traditions ray do you wake up in the morning early and are you this eloquent (laughs) i mean seriously this is a stream of consciousness that's amazing no, I'm not. I'm trying not to like, embarrass you just, just a little. I've just, I've just done this before. <laughs> it, it, it's so compelling. It, it, you know, when we want to lead people to be found, I think sometimes the harder work is leading them to understand that they're lost. Yeah, well, most people treat God as a divine butler, or we, as we do a, a sound man in our churches. You know, we can have the, the sound system working perfectly, 
week after week after week, and suddenly there's a wail that comes through the microphone, and everybody turns around and glares at the sound man. Don't you know what you're doing? We're crazy. Fix that thing. And that's right. how people treat God. You know, he gives us the blue sky, the sound of birds in the morning, the music and love and laughter and food and friends and family, and lavishes his kindness upon us. And as soon as something goes wrong, people lift their fist at the heavens and say, God, what do you think you're doing? You owe me. And that comes from idolatry. It's not a right understanding that God gave us everything we've got. We're unthankful, ungrateful, and we use his name as a cuss word that is so prevalent throughout society that using the name of Jesus to as a cuss word what person in history has ever had their name used as a cuss word other than jesus and he tells us why in john 7 he says the world hates me because i testify of its deeds that they're evil the world hates god for the same reason criminals hate the police because they're criminals and the police stand for that which is right and that's why people hate god without cause they're unthankful unholy and use his name as a cuss word we're enemies of god in our mind through wicked works the bible says and we need to come to that rock of ages, which is clear for us to shelter us from God's goodness on the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. Ray Comfort is my guest. He is the founder and CEO of Living Waters. We're talking about his book, How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. Ray, I got a two-part question, so I'll ask it in two parts. How's that? That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So um, how, how does our response to sin reflect our fear of the Lord? I want to stay on this fear of the Lord topic because I think this is really important. Yeah, we, our conscience is very similar to a smoke detector. Sometimes smoke detectors can be really annoying. They'll go off for no reason. You cook something in your oven and it gets a little hot. Next thing, there's a wailing sound coming from up the hallway. The dog is wailing because he doesn't like the sound of it in the sensitive ears. And you're tempted to just go and pull those batteries out so you can cook without this thing (laughs) doing this thing. And that's what conscience is like. It wails at us when we do something wrong. Things get a little hot morally, and we want to take the batteries out. But that smoke detector is for our protection. It's for our good, and the conscience should be cultivated. The Apostle Paul said he strove to have a conscience void of offense towards God and man. He kept the batteries in. And so that sort of conscience that's uh, motivated by a fear of God and a knowledge that he holds us all responsible for every idle word, there's nothing hid from his eyes. All things lie open and exposed before the eyes of him. We have to give an account. That helps us walk in the fear of the Lord. And, and Bill, I, I am terrified of having a conscience that's not tender. I really want to walk in the fear of God because I know how wicked my heart is. I know how I'm tempted by pornography uh, all the time. Like every red-blooded male, your eyes just go towards things that you know are wrong. And it's the mm-hmm. fear of the Lord that helps me to have um, feet like Joseph had when Potiphar showed up and his wife, his lusty wife, he had on his running shoes. And that's what we've got to have when it comes to sexual sin, looking at things we know are inappropriate. Just have those shoes ready and just keep them on and run. And that's that's motivated by the fear of the Lord. And when we look at the life of Joseph, we see a man that was a, a type of Christ, uh, someone who walked in the fear of God, and, and we need to imitate him. And we can do that because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Ray, here's part two of my two-part question. How, how should we respond and, and connect with people that we love, who we uh, see falling into sin? And we don't want to be judgmental or, or, hyper, or hypocritical, but we just want to, we want to do the right thing. How do we do that? 
Well, we need to share the gospel with them. If someone calls themselves a Christian and they're given to sin, there's something radically wrong. The Bible says examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. And if you're serving sin, you might not be in the faith at all. And so I use two things that I uh, that I uh, use or two, how can I put it? I salt the oats. You know, it's been said you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's just not true. That's a complete lie. You can salt the oats so he'll want to drink. And there are certain ways to salt the oats of human beings and cause them to want what we have in Christ. And one way is to appeal to the will of will to live. Every human being is made in the image of God. We're not dogs, cats, horses, or cows. We have something in us that says, I don't want to die. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15, we are haunted by the fear of death all our lifetime. So when I meet a non-Christian, I'll say something like this to him. Say, uh, hey, Don, so I've got a question for you. Do you think there's an afterlife? He says, I don't know. Do you think about it much? He says, all the time. Are you afraid of dying? He says, yeah. I say, have you ever read the Bible? He says, no, no, I haven't. So you know the Old Testament God promised he would destroy death, and the New Testament tells us how he did it. And suddenly his eyes light up, because no one said that to him before. The Old Testament, God promised to destroy death. The New Testament tells how he did it. So I say, I'm going to share the gospel with you, and I have to proceed it with the Ten Commandments to show you need God's mercy. Is that okay? And I say, sure. So I appeal to the will to live. You think of how a waitress approaches businessmen in a restaurant. She looks and three businessmen have walked in wearing three-piece suits, holding little black cases. They're obviously sitting at the table, wheeling and dealing millions of dollars. Is she intimidated? Not at all. She just walks up, boldly says, can I take your order? She butts in. They're half-sentenced. They're important men. Why she do that? It's because she knows she has what they want, food. That's why they're there. And we have what this world wants. They just don't understand that. They think we're religious when we've found everlasting life in Christ. Most of them at some gym, torturing themselves or drinking some liquid or eating some food they hate to try and extend their lives. And we have everlasting life in Christ. If only they knew. And so this is what Jesus did with a woman at the well in John chapter 4. He said, if you knew the gift of God, and he was speaking to you, you'd ask him, he'd give you living water. So that is one of my confidences, how to salt the oats, appeal to the sinner's will to Mm. live. He will listen. If he knows what we've got, we can get through to him. And the other thing is to appeal to his conscience. So conscience means with knowledge. God has given light to every man. Whether someone's an atheist or agnostic or religious person, they have a conscience. They have a knowledge of right and wrong, and you can appeal to it by going through the Ten Commandments. It awakens the conscience. It gets Mm -hmm. the uh, smoke detector doing its duty. Yeah. Ray, let me take a little break. Ray Comfort is my guest. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters and has uh, written over 100 books. The one we're chatting about today is how to make sure God hears your prayers. If you've been to his YouTube channel, uh, he has over, well, my math book never never taught me that number, so I don't even know how to pronounce it. Let's just say 230 million views. That's a lot. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Carmen LeBurge. If you enjoy what you're listening to here, consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine. Search Mornings with Carmen LeBurge at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. 
So much to talk to Ray Comfort about, so little time. He is the founder and CEO of Living Waters and best-selling author. His book that we're chatting about today is How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. In his book, he says the reason people's hearts fail them is that they don't believe anyone is in control. If they could take control, they wouldn't be fearful, but those who fear God know that he is always in control. He's never taken by surprise or thrown into confusion. The same God who will fulfill his promise to judge the world will fulfill his promise to bless those who fear the Lord. The choice is ours. We can disobey and let sin rule in our lives, or we can trust God in obedience and come to him in prayer. Nice words, Ray. Oh, thank you. Can I share something that we're doing that's super exciting? I hope you do. Yeah. Well, about six months ago, I began thinking about what's going to happen on May the 6th of this year when King Charles uh, becomes uh, crowned or the coronation takes place. And I realized that he's going to be given an orb or holding an orb, which is a globe with a cross on the top, which is a picture of the reign of Jesus Christ of the whole earth. He's going to have two swords. One's a blunt sword, a sword of mercy, speaking of the gospel, another sharp sword, sort of justice. Um, he's going to lay his hand on the Bible and promise before God to uphold the biblical truth of salvation by grace through faith without works. And all this is going to be done in front of an audience of hundreds of millions around the world. And I thought, man, I'd like to produce a gospel tract, not endorsing King Charles, but doing what Paul did in Acts 17 when he quoted Greek poets. And what's he quoting, what is he quoting Greek poets for? He was using them as a bridge to reach his hearers. And that's what I was wanting to do with this coronation. So I thought it'd be great to get a track printed with a gospel on the back, with Charles on the front, a million-dollar bill or like a 50 million pound or whatever. And I, I made a video and sent it to my team for their thoughts. And I received an email from a gentleman. And he said, what are you working on? So I told him. I sent him the video, and he sent back $200,000 uh, to the ministry. I showed someone else the video. They sent 100000 Someone else, I showed them the video, and they sent 50000 So we're able to make this track available free of charge, and we pay the shipping. Uh, it's very exciting because the media understand, Christians don't understand because we've got our Jesus, he's our king, we're not bowing to any earthly king, but the world is infatuated with royalty. So hundreds of millions of non-Christians are going to go to church for two hours on May the 6th and hear uh, symbolic uh, symbolism of the gospel. So this is a wonderful opportunity. So if anyone wants to go to livingwaters.com forward slash London, we will send large quantities, a thousand at a time, of these uh, very, very um, beautifully produced gospel tracts uh, free of charge, and we'll pay the shipping anywhere in Europe, anywhere in England, anywhere in Australia or New Zealand, or anywhere in the U.S. That's livingwaters.com forward slash London. Well, what a beautiful uh, gift that is, Ray. Thank you so much for that. All right, yeah, we only have excited about them. Yeah, we only have a couple couple minutes left. So, um, what do you say to those who pray, but they just don't feel God hears or answers their prayers? I know there's many listening right now that feel that, that they're in. That's the camp they're in. And you can, yeah, it's very very common. You you think you know I've got suffering in my family. Someone's suffering a terrible disease. Why doesn't God do something? We don't know why they're suffering. We know why they're. We don't know why God doesn't answer our prayers when someone's suffering, but we do know why uh, there is suffering, because we live in a fallen creation. But think what happened to Mary and Martha. They sent a message to Jesus saying, your friend whom you love, Lazarus, is sick. In other words, 
she'll obviously be here like grease lightning because you love him and he's your friend. But Jesus stayed where he was for two days because he had greater intentions. He wanted to do something far more marvelous than healing someone. He wanted to raise them from the dead. So often God's ways aren't our ways. We say, Lord, please do this. This needs to happen. But God sees into the future, and his wisdom is infinitely greater than ours. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said when it comes to prayer. He said, faith may swim where reason may only paddle. So as Christians, when God doesn't zoom in and answer our prayers in the way he thinks we will, we just say, I trust him. I trust him with all my heart. I lean not to my own understanding, but I trust him because he keeps every promise he makes. And he promises to work all things to good, together for good, to those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Mm-hmm. Ray, do you have a fear of the Lord verse that you, you keep handy all the time? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Proverbs 19.23, uh, through the fear of the Lord, oh, he that has the fear of the Lord will abide satisfied. He will not be visited with evil. It's a wonderful verse, and there's a whole stack of verses, especially in Proverbs, that tell us that God's blessing and his ears are open to those that fear him. So we need to cultivate the fear of God if we want God to hear our prayers. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ray, for taking time to uh, be on the show today. It's uh, always, always a delight to talk to you. Great to talk to you, Bill. Thank you. You bet. Ray Comfort's been my guest. You can learn more about uh, Ray at his Living Waters website. We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with lots more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.